These are the Daily Lectionary comments for January the 24th. We're going to look at Joel chapter 3, God's judgment on the nations and the future glory of Israel. And we're going to look at the uh, last half of Romans chapter 12 and Romans chapter 13, which contain general moral admonitions to humility, to obedience to civil authority, and to love. Okay, Joel chapter 3. Now, in Joel chapter 3, uh, we have two themes. Number one is is God's judgment of the nations, and then also the future glory of Israel. And this is all taking place in the context of that day uh, when God's spirit is poured out on all flesh. And uh, so that the, the great, which we know now as, as the, the era of the church. Now, the, the way that this is developed by Joel here is that when he talks about God's judgment on the nations, he's not talking about God's judgment on all Gentiles. As we know, many of those Gentiles will receive the Holy Spirit and will be drawn into um, uh, Israel. So the, the kingdom of God in the New Testament consists of both those from Israel and uh, from the Gentiles who uh, put their faith in, in the, the Jewish king, Jesus. <clears throat> but what he's really talking about here is the unbelieving component of the nations. Very much like uh, Revelation, for example, Revelation 18 and 19 talks about God's final fury overwhelming uh, the, the secular powers of this world which have been opposing the kingdom of God and which are finally overthrown. So this is the great destruction of Rome, which of course was not talking about Rome in Revelation 18 and 19, but talking about all um, earthly authority. And so that's what Joel is talking about here, that this is going to happen and that <clears throat> the extension and the expansion of the kingdom of God in the New Testament will, in fact, uh, bring the, the glories of Israel also to believing Gentiles. But it also puts um, uh, Gentiles in the position of, of rejecting and fighting against that. Of course, it also does that uh, for many of Israel did exactly the same thing. Um, Joel, his imagery here is very startling. Um, God is essentially summoning the nations to gather uh, in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which means judgment, uh, the judgment of God. And now he's talking about the great day of the Lord. So uh, the great day of the Lord is, is, is going to cap off the New Testament era, uh, this time when the Holy Spirit is being poured out on all flesh and the Messiah's kingdom is growing and expanding. It will cap that off. That era will end with the second coming of Christ and with the judgment of all people, and in particular, the overthrow of all secular authority, which has aligned itself against God. So look at verse 14. Again, a, a startling image, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, the stars withdraw their shining. Then uh, the end of verse 16, but the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Remember that in yesterday's uh, devotion, uh, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood and there will be uh, fire and columns of smoke, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what Joel said. And so that is not stated here, and yet we know that that's what's going on. Multitudes and multitudes in the Valley of Decision um, for the day of the Lord 
uh, is near in the valley of decision, the sun and the moon and the stars are darkened. We know that those who call upon the day of the Lord shall be saved. That's why it says the Lord is a refuge to his people. And then finally, uh, beginning at verse 17 and following, Israel's future glory is pictured in purely uh, Old Testament terms, purely in terms of how, how Moses talked about what the blessings uh, would be in the promised land if the people were faithful. So it's talking about a flourishing land, uh, water flowing uh, from uh, uh, from uh, the uh, uh, the house of the Lord, uh, just like what Ezekiel talked about. Uh, and otherwise, it's just a lush and flourishing land of life. In fact, this imagery is using the imagery of Israel in Israel, but in fact, <clears throat> the 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 promises uh, accrue to all of those who put their trust uh, in Christ, both those of the house of Israel and of the faithful Gentiles, and they are not limited to the little land of Canaan, uh, but are actually uh, fully applicable in in the world to come. So. Uh, Joel is using imagery appropriate to the Old Testament, the context which he's <coughs> preaching, but uh, as it actually will unfold, uh, the, the, the actual blessings and glory of Israel will be very, very much greater, very much more universal. Okay, in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 14 through uh, chapter 13, we have uh, Paul continuing on the theme of how we should live. The first 11 chapters lay out, <coughs> shall we say, the, the objective facts, the objective truths that lay the foundation for the kingdom of God, why we should have a joy and hope in God. And then beginning in chapter 12, verse one, uh, Paul turns his attention on then how shall we live? In view of God's mercy, how shall we live? Now, beginning at uh, verse 14 here, uh, we have a whole bunch of of very general moral admonitions. Um, the, the first group, uh, if if you look at those, they all are emphasizing that Christians should be humble and people of peace rather than warlike and combative. So he says, bless those who persecute you, <coughs> just as Jesus said, uh, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Um, repay no evil, uh, no one evil for evil. If possible, and as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Don't avenge yourselves, but re leave room for the wrath of God. Let let God be doing the avenging, if that is to be done. And um, verse uh, 21, do not overcome, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So in, in all of these uh, admonitions that the theme of, of humility and loneliness uh, threads throughout. So in view of God's mercy, this is how we are to, to live humbly in this world, not thinking of more of ourselves uh, than, than we ought, okay, uh, or more of ourselves uh, than others, in, but to live in harmony. And then he turns his attention in chapter 13, verse 1. <coughs> it's a very famous passage where he he gives exhortations to Christians uh, to be obedient to the civil authorities. Now, we don't have time to get into all of the, the theology behind how Christians should view civil authority generally, and particularly civil authority uh, of, of unbelievers. 
But suffice it to say that the, the kings uh, and the authorities about whom Paul is t- speaking here are Roman civil authorities. They are not Christians. So he is not speaking of, of kings and Caesars uh, who have made a pledge to God and are, and are consciously serving God. He's talking about how God uses them and the purpose of civil authority essentially is to take care of our physical bodies. It is to take care of our physical bodies and all that goes along with that. It also is, in, in, in order to take care of us, to reward good and to punish bad behavior. And therefore, God gives to civil rulers um, the power of coercion. That's why it says uh, that, um, uh, uh, that the civil authority uh, is God's servant to do your, you good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't hold the power of the sword uh, for nothing, uh, but it is there in order that he may carry out God's judgment, even if he himself does not believe in God. But if the civil authorities do what their consciences direct them to do, that is, to do justice and to do those things which... Um, which uh, go along with rewarding good behavior and decent behavior and punishing uh, wicked and destructive behavior. He says um, here in verse 6, the authorities are ministers of God. may not be believers, but they're ministers of God, perhaps unwitting, but they're ministers of God, attending to this very thing. That's what they're there to do. Now, political theory um, has a lot to say with because uh, he says if, if you resist the, the authorities that God has set up, you, you are resisting, you know, what God has set up. And so we are not to do that. But then then one might say, well, what becomes of the American Revolution, for example? Or, or you know, how, how are we are we just to, to be uh, completely obedient to the civil authorities no matter what they do? Well, we can't go into all of that right now. But understand that we, we have a somewhat idealized view of the civil authorities. And we can say very much like with our mothers and fathers, the command that we obey and honor our mothers and fathers uh, is assuming that our mothers and fathers are doing what God commands mothers and fathers to do. And so here also, uh, if the governing authorities are doing what God intends them to do, even if imperfectly, then Christians should be subject to them. And the fact that they are not themselves believers does not release Christians from their obligation to obedience. And then finally, beginning at uh, chapter 13, verse 6 and following, now we have this section sort of wraps up with an exhortation that we love one another. Um, In the first place, he says, uh, uh, love fulfills, uh, you know, uh, 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 keeping uh, the law of love is to fulfill the entire law of God. He says that what he really means is the second table of the law. All of these commandments relate to the second table, how we are to love our neighbor. They do not concern how we are to love God. Paul knows that, and he's just he's just uh, simplifying here. If you want to know how, what God wants, uh, and how he wants you to treat your neighbor, then you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you will automatically keep all these other commandments. That's why he says, Every other commandment is summed up in this word, you love your neighbor as yourself. And then a final exhortation to wake up. Wake up from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. 
in general, verse 14 says, we are to put on the Lord Jesus. That is, <clears throat> seek to be like Jesus and to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What you are by nature is a dangerous thing that is often uh, pitted against God. But God has given you his Holy Spirit so that you may be conformed to the image of his son. And so that, or another way to put that is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we are to do. So it's another way of saying, as Jesus says, whoever would follow me must deny himself, take up his cross. Okay. So the, uh, uh, this word Paul is saying here is that make no provision for the flesh. It doesn't mean that whatever it is that you want is automatically bad. It means that you do not give your flesh and its desires free reign ever. But it is always to be subject to the Holy Spirit and to the desire, the need, the call, and the command to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. So what a wonderful way to finish off this general exhortation, how we are to be and how we are to live as Christians, the objects of God's mercy.